This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name is Andrew Graham and I'm joined today with Eli's Heather Brothers, who is like you came back from vacation last week, but this is your first time on the pod since you're back from vacation. So as far as the pod is concerned, you are back from vacation. So welcome back, Heather, and thank you for this is your first time in the studio. So welcome. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No, it's sad to be back when it's snowing here and it was You were in Florida. To, to be clear, she was in Florida. So. Yes, with palm trees and sun. We are here today, though, to talk about the Police Oversight Commission, which met in April on April 11th for their April meeting. I just said April about three times in two sentences, so good job, Andrew. But they met last week and kind of for the first time dug into use of force stuff a little bit, but still kind of mostly dealing with administrative tasks, work, whatever phrase you want to put on it. So we did not cover that meeting because we were on a break at Eli. And what we're really going to do today is actually dig in more to the use of force information that's just included in the agenda. So whether the commission talked about it in depth or not, we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. And there's a couple incidents that have been shared and outlined that we're going to get into a little deeper and just in general talk about the the sort of what form the incidents get relayed and the struggle of parsing out cop talk and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I guess I'll punt it to you to start, Heather, because this is and sort of your your domain. But my general thing is there's sort of in the agenda from last Monday, there's two sort of use of force documents. There's the March use of force complaints, which is from March 2022, and then there's the the whole shebang, as I'll call it, which was basically, it's, I think it's October 2021 to, it was February 22. They'll probably tack on the March stuff at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of these two things that most meetings of theirs, the, here's like every use of force incident that's been reported since October 2021. And then here's this, here's what we're talking about for like the last month. Is that kind of how the breakdown or like kind of how the there'll be these two sort of the longer term and the shorter term look as they get information going ahead? Yes. um, The commission definitely wants to study kind of long-term trends of use of force and complaints within the department. So originally when they got use of force reports, they were extremely truncated. They just kind of said, you know, what, like exactly what the use of force was. Like, for example, if an officer has to discharge their weapon to like put down a deer that someone hit, like that counts as use of force too. So, those kind of things were included with, like, a, a couple of sentences well, of explanation. I was just saying, the explanation for the use of force would be they'd sort of use – they have, like, the specific phrasings or kind of codes for each one. So if it's – if you, like, you know, grab a person and move them away from a crowd, it's, like, soft hand, open hand, soft technique or something. And they yeah. kind of – so it's – they have this kind of desensitized language for grabbing somebody and pulling them out of a crowd or whatever the – Exactly. Yeah. So, So like, shooting a deer gets firearm display discharge, I believe. Exactly. So, anything from like it physically touching like a person to you know shooting someone counts as use of force. So, all of that information was relayed to the commission, but they wanted more, right? Because having just a one sentence explanation of what happened 
doesn't really tell them very much. So the police have, be- have begun to re- provide these very detailed reports that kind of go over who was there, the demographics of the officers and the subjects involved, witnesses, suspects, whoever whoever was there. We get that information and then also a detailed, um, typed out description of the entire incident from the police perspective. Gotcha. It seems like the the oversight commission kind of browbeat the police into into kind of getting it this way. And it doesn't seem to me, um, having read and FOIA'd and seen various police reports with the, they have the sort of top section where it's like address, people, arrests, outcome, blah, blah. Then it has the sort of narrative block like on your insurance form of describe the accident where they kind of just explain like what went down. And sometimes it's, you know, if they just picked up a drunk person, it's, you know, found on curb, blah, blah did arrest, took to jail. But sometimes it can be a couple pages. Um, mm-hmm. there, was, there was one, uh, a couple I read for the the alleged rape case that wasn't, there was a couple of police reports where the narrative was one or two pages because they're going into a apartment and arresting somebody and processing all this information. There's multiple people and multiple officers involved. And so it seems like what these are or what these use of force reports have kind of been morphed into in terms of how the police are giving them to the commission are that narrative section almost of any sort of use of like if you just this was a police report there was use of force here take that narrative section and add some of the top line info about officers where when and that's kind of what the commission seems to be getting you know exactly yeah they want as much information from the police as possible right and when they eventually talk about these in depth hopefully someday someday. yeah that information (laughs) will be crucial i think in how they look at long-term trends right including which officers are using use of force and how often are they doing it right right? if someone's name appears on every Every month (laughs) right every single incident that might be a cause for concern or you can get them in there and they or maybe they responded to 12 hit deer in a month and it's just random but you can't know unless you see it Exactly, yeah. right? And you, also you, the otherwise you're just guessing. Like the demographic data, right? Like our police officers, you know, initiating contact with black residents more than white residents, right? That was a concern um that the study committee focused on and that the commission it's written into their yeah. you know, mission essentially, so, right? In, that they want to look at racial disparities. Yeah. Yes. And so getting into these then that does raise the problem though of you want as much information from the police as possible, but then the second sort of caveat of that of how trustworthy is the information because like anybody else in the world police officers have been caught lying before um and that's not to say these reports aren't accurate or broadly true but it's the like we said of one person's soft open hand technique is another person's i got roughed up by the police and i think that's where the the commission's trying to get the police to i think maybe explain themselves as much as possible Mm -hmm. because I think too much of what happens is you get the aggrieved party, you know, someone who got arrested rightly or wrongly and got, you know, what they feel is roughed up and, you know, they're willing to come and argue it and the police just go, well, that followed our protocol. They use this desensitized language and it's just kind of hard to get a fair assessment of what happens and then the default is just, well, the police were right and you move on. Well, yeah, the, and this seems to be like a good effort to get away from that by forcing the police to come and sort of at least talk through what they did in a sure. sort of clearer fashion. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, and this is only the police perspective, right? right? They do look at complaints as well, which they began to do 
at their last meeting according to what they said at the meeting before, but I don't know if they did. But complaints then could paint a picture, right? If you have a complaint about a use of force incident, you could see both perspectives. But yes, in these reports, we just have the police perspective of what happened. And you're right about these kind of techniques that are used. And the commission itself is being, um, like the study committee was, kind of talked through some of these techniques. Like, what does it mean when a suspect is actively aggressive? Well, I could be in it. Yeah, I was just like, any as, number of things. <laughs> well, as we've seen in these reports, that covers a wide range of behaviors, which we can talk about, right? Because right. active aggression could be anything from like punching a police officer in the face to not wanting one of their hands on your shoulder, right. right? Speaking of not wanting one of their hands on their shoulder, that's a perfect segue into one of the use of force incidents from March that was highlighted that I wanted to talk about because I read it and went, whoa. Um, and Heather and I talking pre-show before we recorded, we both read that. We're kind of like, wow. And it was on March 4th, 2022. And this is per the use of force, the March report sent to the commission from ELPD. So at just before midnight on March 4th, Officer Woodruff from ELPD was dispatched for incapacitated person on 600 block of East Grand River. They arrived before ELFD paramedics were there and the incapacitated subject's boyfriend was sitting next to her um, while she was vomiting. My apologies. <laughs> Five paramedics showed up and started to take care of her. She was put on a, a cot gurney. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as she was getting tended to by paramedics, apparently her boyfriend was... This is, I'm going to start quoting very closely here. After the patient was put on the cot, suspect stood up behind the paramedics very close, within a foot. Officer Woodruff asked the suspect to back up and to stand away from the paramedics multiple times as they were trying to give medical treatment. The suspect would not comply. Officer Woodruff again told the suspect to back up, but the suspect would not comply. Officer Woodruff put his hands on the suspect's shoulder to tell him to back up, and the suspect turns and pushes Officer Woodruff's hands, in parentheses, act of aggression. Officer Woodruff then grabs a hold of the suspect's arm, parentheses, soft, empty hand technique, and the suspect turns hitting Officer Woodruff's hand, parentheses, active aggression, stating, you better get the F away from me. The suspect is standing in a fighting stance with his right hand balled up in a punching position while making that statement. Officer Woodruff states taser and deploys his taser at the suspect. Loud verbal commands are given to the suspect by Officer Woodruff to get on the ground. Both taser probes do strike the suspect. The suspect does go to the ground and is then handcuffed and arrested. The suspect is intoxicated and transported to a local hospital for evaluation. It was a 25-year-old non resident of the city of East Lansing, a white male. And I struck I that one stuck out to me because it was an officer initiating physical contact and then that ending with the officer tasing a, a drunk guy, which doesn't sit great with me. Well, especially since his girlfriend was being treated by paramedics, so he presumably was standing close because he was concerned about her. Yeah, and I, I can understand the paramedics wanting some breathing room, but what this doesn't explain and where I my immediate question is, well, did the paramedics want him to back up? Right. Were the paramedics having a problem with him being so close? And standing close. Like, in other reports here, the police do explain when people are, like, yes. being agitated or getting upset. They don't say that he was doing that here. They only no, say he, he was standing well, too it, close. It appears he gets agitated and upset After, upon yeah. being having a hand laid upon him by the officer. And I just think, 
this one really just goes to show the asymmetrical dynamic of it, of an officer putting his hand on somebody isn't active aggression, but that person responding effectively in kind is active aggression and creates that opening effectively for the police to tase him. Right. This incident is such a great window into how these things actually happen, of how a bunch of people standing there worried about a a drunk girl, I mean, she's presumably around the same age as him and, you know, getting medical attention and situation's pretty buttoned down. And then who was the real aggressor here is really my question. Right. I, I come away with it going, who was the most aggressive party? And I think that's like where the commission's starting to get with this. And I think about had they got this information as the police had just transported it over them before sort of browbeating them into this more complete version, it would have been, you know, male suspect, aggressive with officer, tased, jailed, intoxicated, like white male, age 25. And that's like all you would have known. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, that happens. Drunk people at night get shirty with officers. And if you try to fight an officer, you get arrested. Like, that's <laughs> what happens. But it, it doesn't unpacking the real sort of blow by blow analysis of it is really important to understanding what was just. And that's really what the commission's after, is it not? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I this is an interesting one, right? Because just the use, the calling, the pushing someone's hand off your shoulder when they touch you. A response to physical active, contact is active, active aggression, but the initial physical contact is not active aggression. And that and that also just goes to show of your the officer is saying, well, I wasn't being aggressive, but like you, they get to assume that that person was being aggressive because of the physical action belies that emotion, supposedly. But I view brushing someone's hand off my shoulder as much as sort of like a defensive thing as it is actively aggressive. Right. And so it might be an aggressive act, but it's not Again, who's the aggressor? So Yeah, I'd be curious to see what you know, when and if the commission discusses like these specific incidents, what their takes on this yeah. are. Because I think I would just be curious that the biggest question I would want answered was, did the paramedics care that he was so close? Because if they didn't, then it's what are you doing as a police department? You've created a problem here. Right. Because and- now you've got a use of force report you have to go send to the police oversight commission where you could have otherwise just let it go, I guess. Right. Did this need to result in someone being tased and arrested and handcuffed? Right. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe detain him or grab him. Like, I don't, I'm not a police officer. I can't pretend I understand these situations perfectly in that, you know, this guy, it says he's white male, 25 years of age. He could be 6'5", like 240 pound super athlete. He could be like 5'11", 195. I have no idea. So it's just... There's so much context missing, but from what I see and from what I read, and this is, I think, where the commission wants to get, because you can actually make a somewhat of a conclusion from this. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't when it was just handgun display or, you know, taser display or soft hand technique arrest made, you know. Right, so yeah. So I think it's, it's, this is a very good example of the kind of the earlier thing we were talking about of pushing the police to really explain what they did helps you actually have a clearer baseline beyond just like a factual blip on the radar. Exactly. And so there was a, there was another one that or um, two technically that I believe you wanted to talk about so I you were Yeah, so as you might know, the police uh in East Lansing also have social workers that work for them that they're supposed to deploy 
in incidents where it's a person in crisis. It's so that's relatively language. new system. Yes. About a year old or so. Yes. It's, or so. It, yeah. If, yeah. So I think the movement on it started more than a year ago, but they might not have hired somebody until about a year ago. Right. Like because that. the concern was like, you know, what happens when the police run into someone who's going through a mental health crisis or has, you know, a mental or physical disability or things like that? Right. Like, how do they handle those issues? Because there have been incidents in the past nationally, right, where someone is deaf and they can't hear and or you know they can't listen a manic to the episode police, right? or exactly any people of are going yeah. through a variety of different things and the police aren't necessarily the best trained to handle it so the idea was that they could call in a a social worker who was trained specifically to deal with people in crisis so in their reports as you've seen right they do note when they think there is a person in crisis as they put it however as the commission has pointed out before, oftentimes social workers are not dispatched, even though, you know, they're part of the department and they probably should be called on some of these cases based on, you know, the justifications ELPD has given on their own for when to call them. They're not called. So what's interesting, though, is there was an incident here on March 15th, and it specifically says a social worker was on duty at the time of the incident that happened at 12.30 p.m., so right during regular business hours, but was not dispatched to the call. But perhaps they should have been based on the police report here, right? It mentions how paramedics arrived to see the, uh, the subject, and the it is, I'm going to quote from the police, the report here, it is unknown if subject one was going through a mental health crisis. Subject one did yell out multiple times that subject one was diagnosed bipolar and schizophrenic. No criminal charges issued. So if someone is yelling out that they have a mental illness as the police are interacting with them, I would assume that would be a time to call a social worker. However, they did not. Did not happen. Yeah. I just I just did a quick um, search. Not search. I went on the ELPD staff page and there are currently only two social workers employed. So granted, in a city like East Lansing, there could probably be more than one incident at a time that you would need a social worker. But yeah, it's, this is what they're for. I mean, this incident is exactly what they were there for, what they've been hired for, why you would add this person to your response apparatus is for somebody who's in crisis, maybe a danger to themselves, Maybe, but perhaps less, even less likely a danger to others, but somebody who assuredly needs assistance and you can't just, you know, walk up and drag them to the hospital. That's probably not the best way to do it. And so if that's not a situation where they get called, is it just like the one officer thinks to do it finally? Or I guess like the question that kind of gets raised for me here is, is there some sort of protocol or procedure or checklist or criteria for the police officers or because if it's just kind of if you think you need it how many of them are ever like i did this job for years without a social worker it's so you know if you create maybe a hard threshold of it's somebody once somebody states they have a mental illness if you can call the social worker you call the social worker like that could be a hard rule just to and then a social worker could come and go well no they're actually they're fine they're just saying that so you wouldn't arrest them then you go arrest them but then you haven't gone and just blown ahead without using this resource that you're paying money to have and use. And so you might as well use them and 
my right. opinion. Exactly. And I mean, I know in the past it's been mentioned, you know, if incidents happen at 3 a.m., maybe a social worker isn't on duty. Yeah, so you, people are humans. They're not everywhere exactly, at all times. But yeah. there was, in this case, it struck me because a social worker was literally on duty at the time. Right. And so it, it seems strange to me that that person was not called. Right. Um, and it doesn't explain in here that, you know, they were responding to another incident or something. It doesn't, you know, they were on duty, but couldn't come for X, Y, or Z reasons. It's just they didn't. Right. And then this gets extra compounded by the next use of force incident reported because it's the same person. And it was five days later? No. Um. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Five days later. They get called for the same person. Exactly. And this time they did say that they asked the subject. So I'll quote again. The subject was asked if he would like to have a social worker contact him, which the subject stated he did. There was no social worker on duty at the time of this incident, but a referral was completed by Officer Cotton. So in this case, I mean, who knows? But you could presume that the police remembered the interacting with this person five days prior and maybe they should have called a social worker at that point. Lessons learned, yeah. So they decided to do so at this at this time, right? Right. Um, and see, even when a social worker is not on duty, apparently they can make a referral right. to have the social Just worker contact them, or, right, to, yeah. to see them afterwards. So that should be something that's probably done no, that in would, most instances. That would seem like a logical thing. And I also wonder, you know, they sent the referral after the second incident. What would have happened if they had sent a referral after the first one, even? Right. Would there be a second incident? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it would have been a week, two weeks later instead of five days. But, you know, this is a it's these reports. And this is what the commission's kind of here to do is to force you to ask these questions of how could the police have better served the community in that moment? Because any any time the police is using force on somebody from kind of where I sit, something's failed. And it's often the person, like, somebody has broken a law and that, you know, the system of accountability, like, you know, a person fails and then, but, you know, it, should, it shouldn't get to that point, ideally. And the, each one of these is an instance to look at how did it get there and what on the city policy decision-making side can we do to prevent it? Because you can't, you know, we're in a society with more guns than people. We're in a society where... People can go and do violent things, hurt other people, rob stores. You know, people do bad things. I'm not trying to act like the police caused the problems or something, but it's the onus falls on the police to not compound things, right, <laughs> basically, and, um, and to, to make sure they're adjudicating the law and enforcing the law as fairly and openly and equitably as possible. And that is of particular concern to the commission is how the police handle people who are having like a mental health crisis, right? The commission has psychologists and social workers that are part of it, and they're constantly bringing up these kind of things, right, of how the police should and have interacted with people who are in crisis, right? And so I think that's one of the things when we're talking about like equitable and fair policing that they're particularly concerned about. Yeah. And I think, too, it's important to remember that this is in the same way that we're asking that the people who are have been mistreated by the police get treated with that grace and humanity. I do think is 
weird and as difficult as it is to stomach, it is important to recognize, like, with the police, they are grown-ups and they're paid and it's their job and they need to do it right, but you are still asking people to change how they go about what they're doing day-to-day. And whether what they, if what, even if what they were doing was completely in the wrong, which it wasn't, it was somewhat in the wrong, or is, anytime you're asking somebody to overhaul or sort of significantly change the way they're doing things, there's going to be growing pains, whatever those might be. And so I think the, the, and the commission's generally been cognizant of this and working with ELPD of, you know, they've, they've been straight up with them and said, you know, we need more information, we need X, Y, and Z, but they haven't been combative and just totally like the police are the bad guys. It's like, right. we're here to try and help make this all better. Which yeah. I think that's that's the real spirit of this. And as much as it's easy to kind of get into the, man, this officer shouldn't have tased this guy and whatever. It's like, well, it did happen. What can we learn from it is really what this whole exercise is about. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, holding the police accountable because they did make this change to include social workers, right? Like they did that. They're a part of their department now. Use them, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like they're the ones who said like, this is what the social workers are going like to be for. Actually right. make them worth the so money. Yeah. to make sure that this isn't going to be something that they just, you know, essentially. Provide lip service Exactly. On. Yeah. Right. Which obviously like social workers have gone out on calls and they have done yeah. things. But I think it is a concern if they're on duty and where not the rubber, being Where the rubber meets the road here, really. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that the commission is going to hold them accountable for these kind of incidents. Like, I hope they ask questions about, you know, why wasn't someone called if someone is right. saying I have, a, you know, I have a right. mental health issue. Right. No, I think that makes complete sense. And it's it's just, it's very interesting isn't the right word, but it's it's, for me as someone who appreciates having as much information about what my local government is doing and just being able to, you know, having this public record and holding people to account is not about playing a game of gotcha. It's just about if you need to go back and assess something that happened, you all kind of need to agree on what happened. And so that's what this holding to account, I think, is also important for of it establishes. Because I think too many times in these instances, you get the police saying, well, the subject was unruly and... X, Y, and Z, and the subject goes, I wasn't, I wasn't resisting, blah, blah, blah. And then you get body cam footage, which makes everybody look bad because somebody was, you know, needling an officer at two in the morning when they're drunk and whatever. And then the officer over, you know, it's, there's so much of that. And these are a step towards cutting through a lot of, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's just the police account, but it's in writing, it's, thought out it's not this kind of well we didn't do anything (laughs) exactly i think more information will hopefully benefit everyone right because the real idea here as far as i can tell is that they would really like to not have any use of force reports coming in yeah that's not maybe a realistic ideal and you know again as i mentioned before in a country with more guns than people it's not like realistic to expect that Nothing right, and in a happens. college town with a lot, a lot of, of bars intoxicated and people drinking, and just there's all sorts of things that lead to the police being needed. But I think what this can go a long way to is getting to that sort of happy middle ground of being able to respond to things and maintain public safety while not abusing that power you have over people, which I think has been the problem for too long. I think if you really look at it, the police all over the country 
impede upon our rights probably more often than we even think about. So I think like that's like the the big philosophical point to end it. <laughs> um, but I do think like this is just overall a, a an important piece in that sort of whole puzzle of keeping the police to account and keeping us safe while not potentially endangering some of the people they're supposedly protecting. Mm-hmm. So anything else? No, I think we about covered it. We could go on for literally. <laughs> there are so many reports we could go on for probably hours, but we are. Fortunately for ourselves, time limited. So, mm-hmm. Heather, thank you very much for joining me. This was a, a fantastic discussion episode. I hope the listeners at home enjoy it. And for Impact 89 FM and East Lansing Info, my name is Andrew Graham, and this has been another episode of the East Lansing Insider. Thank you for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.